Well, good morning, church. I hope that uh, as we join together in our service today, we, uh, we acknowledge one another and we continue in our prayer for each other uh, during this time. Thank you very much for all being uh, willing and ready to do the things that we, we feel is necessary here in the church to be able to continue to keep our ministry moving forward and moving in the right uh, way for our community to keep us um, safe and respected and honoured throughout. So we really appreciate all that you're doing and uh, we're looking forward to being back together in a couple of weeks' time and uh, being in communication with you in person and being able to give you uh, handshakes and hugs and, and all sorts of things as we move forward with this time. So let's, uh, let's move into today's message, which I want to get straight into if I can. And uh, we're working through our, our church transformation uh, series and we're up to week nine. And uh, what, what is honestly a really interesting topic for today is we're looking at a worldview shift. That worldview shift uh, is something that's extremely important for us to grasp and move forward in as God calls us. It's a, it's a sense that uh, we, we have to move from a church mentality to a kingdom mentality. I'll say that again for us. We're moving from what is a church locality, the church that we are connected to, the church that we belong to, the church we call home, which is Life Source, and understanding that Life Source is a part of God's kingdom. And the message is not the message of a particular church, but it's a message of the kingdom of God. How about we pray? Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord God, that we can be together in our homes and that we can take this time, Lord, to spend with people we love and care for. But at the same time, we can be encouraged and keeping moving forward with the things that you are speaking to us about. Keep us focused, our hearts in uh, unity, but Lord, focused upon the vision. Speak to us, I pray today, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our first reading is really going to come to us from John chapter 17. And verses 18 to 23, you'll find it up there on the screen. It says, as you sent me into the world, this is Jesus speaking. As you sent me into the world, in fact, it's Jesus praying. He says to God, so I have sent them into the world. Them is you and I, the disciples of Jesus. Verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's more specifically about us now. Verse 21, that they may be or that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, this is Jesus, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. And the last verse, I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved 
me. What an encouraging passage of scripture. What a, what a wonderful prayer of Jesus as he prays for those who were with him at the time and for those of future generations like you and I who will be following him and being led by him. This is all said about us who would come after him. This is not about creed. It's not about denomination. It's not about even a person's worldview, but those who would call on his name and be saved. Ultimately, this whole topic of moving from a church mentality to a kingdom mentality is about becoming a united community, not just in your local church, but for the community abroad. Let me say it like this. Identity leads to unity. How amazing is that? Your identity in Christ will lead you to a, a walk and a journey and a commitment to unity, which builds within us a kingdom mindset. I love that. I love that. And you'll see that just popping up on your screen. We live in a world today that compares everything. What we look at, what we look like, how we dress, what, what kind of car we drive, what sort of uh, what side of the railway tracks do we live on? Do we live on the north side or the south side? Uh, what, what we eat, how we eat, where we eat, all of these things. I mean, I found myself the other day just uh, comparing KFC fried chicken with Red Rooster, new crispy fried chicken. And funny, you know, I was comparing them thinking which one's better but the reality is they came from the same factory. While they might have a different coating on them, they're still the, still the same chicken. Comparison is absolutely everywhere. This is not a new concept. Uh, comparison around image, what we believe, how we act, or even what faith concepts we have in Christ and how we adhere to him, it affects our worldview. What this leads us to, these are strong words, I know, but what this can lead us to, if we're in error in this way, in any way, shape or form, it can lead to judgment, comparison, exclusiveness, and eventually those three things will lead us into a position of pride. This happened even when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 odd years ago. Here I'll show you, Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 41. It says, Jesus... Well, sorry, it says, John said to him, my bad, teach, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for we, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Verse 40, for the one who is not against us is for us. I think this is a very loving response of our Lord Jesus. And, and, and he continues with the last verse, 41. What he says there is this, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. How simple is it to, to give another believer a cup of water, a blessing, a refreshment, our, our respect, instead of heaping judgment upon them? 
And the promise is that you will receive a reward in Christ for doing so. Have you ever asked why so many denominations? I've asked that question before. I've been asked that question a lot in my ministry journey. How about we flip the question a moment? Why does this question have to be in a negative connotation? Hmm. I think that's a, a great way of asking. Like the disciples, we need to change our thinking concerning other churches, other ministries, and other Christians. And this is what it is about adopting a Christian mentality, or sorry, a kingdom mentality, which is what our topic is. To put it simply, God values diversity, not uniformity. Just look at other people, how different we all are. The different color skin, the different features of our faces, the different colors of our eyes and our hair, the different shapes and sizes that we all come in. Look at the flowers from tropical all the way through to the desert flowers. How different, how creative God is in bringing the flowers even differences. The trees, the differences in animals. I mean, well, think about the platypus. The old Aussie joke is that, that uh, the platypus came about because God just put all the leftover pieces together. <laughs> I think that's a little bit funny. Not one area or not one thing that God has created keeps us from thinking that God is a God of diversity. In fact, all creation reveals that he's a God of diversity. How did God look at his people in the Old Testament will help us. And, and I sort of sat through this yesterday in preparing this message. I, I put together for myself a, a, a bit of a chart to help me unpack that. And, and I'll throw that up for us to have a look at. Honestly, the first thing that we can see is uh, through the Old Testament, uh, God's people, the people of Israel, they were called by his name. They were his covenant people. But there was four areas of diversity that we can see. The first is... They were a set-apart nation, God's people, Israel. And, and it's interesting when you link identity with each of these stages, how it gives us an understanding. So the first group is God's people, the entire nation of Israel. And it's ultimately how the world viewed them, that they were set apart unto God. They were God's creation, God's people, his covenant people, as God, as the king, and the people as his suburban king, in a sense. Then move along. God then placed them in 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, um, identity before the nation. So how they were identified according to their own people. You know, that you belong to the tribe of Levi and you belong to the tribe of Reuben and, and you belong, as Paul would say, to the tribe of Benjamin. I think that's really interesting that we see that the tribes of Israel come through. And then this, the, the third grouping is really the tribes are broken down into households and families, which reveals to them that their identity before each other in the places, the localities that they lived, they understood each other based on family, based upon name, based upon what they did. And you can see that throughout all of Numbers and even throughout their whole Old Testament. It's just the way God created us. And then what I really love as I looked about this was the chosen individuals. Each member of the nation of Israel, while they belonged to a particular tribe and a certain household, all of them were chosen individuals by God. 
It's their identity is how they stand before God. And you see that in people like Abraham and Moses and David, just up there in the chart, for examples. What, what interests me is that God hasn't changed in this area. And, and just flicking over to the next slide, what we get is looking at the church of Jesus, we see exactly the same thing. When you come to Christ, the first thing that happens is you, are, you become, not only is you, are you saved and set apart, but you're, you're automatically a member of the global church, God's people, Jesus' church. And again, that's your identity before the world. And we saw that in Jesus' prayer at the opening in John 17. But the question around denominations comes in. Why so many denominations? Well, it's really the same sort of context that it's about identification it's about of which set of beliefs you hold and, and, and from what values are you, are, you, are you adhering to. That comes back to the thought of the family, the tribe on which you belong to in the Old Testament. Think about it in the New Testament, the denominations. This is your identity before the church and they're not they're meant to be used. You can't see Reuben and Levi judging one another just for being Reubenites or Levites. They were still people of God. And it's the same thing when it comes to the denominations. How many do we have is the question I have there. And ultimately, who knows? And is it really an important issue? The third line, household families. Um, the same thing, the households, the families, which is your identity before each other within the local church context. And I love that our church is full of individuals and families alike that, that bring a story and a, and a testimony of the way that they've been brought up and, and how we can encourage one another in that. And uh, you see that all through the book of Acts. But the most important thing I want to highlight there is this, that it was often households that came to the Lord. They would often go to the person of peace. They would often go to the head of the household and share the gospel. But it was the entire household when the, when the, the, the person that was the head of the family converted to Christ, the whole family converted to Christ. And what an amazing pattern that is. The last is this, the chosen individual. How amazing is it to know our identity in Christ is secure? How Ephesians opens that up for us. How, how actually all the letters of Paul help us unpack the relationship that we have as new creation in Jesus and our identity firmly secure in him. I love those pictures. And, and it, what it does is it reveals that there's diversity, not uniformity in any way, shape or form. When we understand unity, identity and kingdom from the perspective of scripture, and from the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, we can simply conclude that other ministries are to be valued and respected as long as they are building the kingdom of God. In Jesus' words, for the one who is not against us is for us. Isn't that pretty cool? Let's look at the other side of this. If they're for us and not against us, how cool is that? But let's look at any individual ministry or church denomination that isolates itself from God's vision of the whole becomes exclusive and eventually degenerates. We, we must keep our hearts open to reach out to others and learn from others in the journey. I think that's a pretty wise thing to think. Isolation from your Christian body, your church locally. Isolation from the church globally, 
isolation as a denomination coming out and, and becoming an independent or isolating and, and, and seeing your whole denomination saying that we're the one true. How dangerous can that be? We've got six points I want to quickly get through. Three of them I'm going to spend a little bit of time on and the last three I'll just fly through extremely fast. And, uh, but what these are doing is going to help us build a kingdom mindset. These are attitudes that we must choose to embrace and develop as we, we shift our mindset to the entire advancement of the kingdom of God. The first is, is a good one. And it's a tough one to talk about at times, but honestly, we must think about it. The, it's really number one, be humble, not proud. And the title comes up there. Be humble, not proud. That's our first point. No church or ministry or individual has it all. No church, no ministry, no individual. Not one of these can answer the complex issues of this world. Jesus is the one who did that. Amen. And I love Rodney's analogy that he has always used. When darkness presses in, just switch on the light. And Jesus being the light of the world and we being little lights within the world. How great is that? I'm amazed. Number three in this area, not one has a corner of truth more than another. I think that's a great way of looking at it. No church, no ministry, no individual has a corner of truth more than each other. And lastly, not one church or ministry is God's only instrument or one true church in this world. If we thought of any of those things or, or applied them to any of our world view, then uh, obviously there's, they're indicators for pride. And God's saying to us to be humble and not full of pride. Humility demands that we have a sober view of ourselves. Uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 3 is a good one for this. And we've been going a little bit through Romans and Corinthians. So I love that this comes up now. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Romans 12 and 3. We as individuals and as a church are only a part of what God is doing through the earth. I mean, we're not that important as individuals to think that we're the ones that can change the world entirely. But it's God's plan for the church globally to present the kingdom mindset and to move forward together in unity as a community to see the gospel advance. All we need to work, uh, sorry, we all need to work together to see the purposes of God fulfilled. Our attitude should be to love diversity and variety in ministry. And this is God's wisdom for us. The way you were brought up may be one way of experiencing God, maybe one way of encountering Him. But there is a vast majority of other ways and unique, diverse ways that God has created for us to relate to him and to know him and understand his word and to encounter his Holy Spirit and to become more like him as we call to be like Jesus. This is God's wisdom for us. Proverbs 12, 15 says it like this. Fools think their own way is right. Proverbs is just a straight shooter, isn't he, Solomon? Fools think their own way is right. But the wise listen to others. We must first listen. Listening is such a key. 
about remaining humble in our lives. In the end, God says it that he hates pride. And you can look that up in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 17. It gives us that understanding. But, but look at what James writes. James says in the scriptures, and he gives grace generously. I love that. It's how it starts. He gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. And then it goes on and it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice how James tells us to put God first. And, and, and if we want to resist the devil, we've got to humble ourselves to the way of God first. Because we can't do it in our own strength. So let's be humble and not full of pride. The second, the second point is to be inclusive, not exclusive. I'll say that again. Secondly, be inclusive not exclusive. Philippians 1, 15 to 18 says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. This is the Apostle Paul. He was in chains at this point. He says, Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. It's, it's almost like, I oh, will do it this way, and that'll bring suffering to Paul while he's in his chains. Because they had a vendetta, because they didn't agree with the things Paul was saying. And, and, and that's okay, because Paul says, but that doesn't matter. What a brave thing to say. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Wow. In chains, under persecution, and yet it doesn't matter whether they are for him or against him, as long as the message of Christ is being presented. He was happy. And it brings us to this thought. Can we teach ourselves to look for common ground instead of being oppositional? That common ground is the faith we have and the foundation it's built upon in Christ. We do this by choosing to not focus on differences. The encouragement for us is about being effective for the gospel. Again, like Paul, coming up on your screen again. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Another big passage, but I think we can do it. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. See, Paul's saying I'm a slave for the gospel, because the most important thing is that the gospel goes forward. And he says, verse 20, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. And we know he did that because he took Timothy and he got him circumcised before he took him before the council of Jerusalem. So even though, he continues, I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law also, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. 
I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Wouldn't it be amazing, church, if we were all like that? That we would do everything we could, everything within our power, everything within our mouth and our voice, our tongue, our strength, everything that we, to bring the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. It's about connection, not isolation, church. Our common ground is Christ. How powerful is that when we think about denominational lines and different churches in different communities? We must guard our hearts to avoid prejudice against other Christians and churches. We must avoid stereotyping other ministries based on gossip and hearsay. Um, I think we've got to choose to seek the higher road. And an example of that is, is 60 Minutes and, and a Current Affair doing uh, different things on Hillsong Church all the time. You know, we're not there. We don't know what's going on. And it would be wrong for us to judge in these situations based upon the word of one or two people who have got a, a bee in their bonnet over this. I think about Bethel Church and Bill Johnson and, and the sad things and false claims that have been said about them. And thankfully, they've been strong enough to come out and say, we've never said that. But in reality, people hear what they want to hear. And we can't buy into those things, the false claims. Um, just even people's general opinion around mega churches or, uh, or, or even our opinion about the local church down the road. Those things really can hamper our thinking and cause us to become exclusive. But God wants us to be inclusive because our common ground is Jesus. We must, be, we must free ourselves from believing the rot. Remember, if they're not against us, Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, they are for us. Praise the Lord. Exclusive behaviors are breeding grounds for carnality and they stunt our maturity. On the other hand, we are not to engage in creating fan clubs or... Uh, elevating other ministries to superstar Christendom. Like, um, you know what I'm saying now. Paul addresses this very simply in 1 Corinthians 3, 1-9. And it's good that we're doing a journey through the Bible on this to help us understand. It's a big passage. Let's go. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. There it is. Immaturity and carnality. I had, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like, just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. You see, each had their place and God used them. You have your place and God will use you 
Because he desires to build his kingdom through people like you and me. Moving on to our third point. The first one was remembering to be humble and not full of pride. Uh, We were just talking about making sure we're not isolated. And now thirdly, we need to discern and not be the judge. Following on from the last point, how many Christian ministries are there today being labelled as demonic? Just Google somebody, somebody that you might have thought something had been said about. And the first 10 to 15 articles that come up are often all in the negative. What happens when we believe ear witness accounts or of ear witness accounts of things that may have been eyewitnessed? from people who have become bitter, what happens is that we're buying into gossip and slander. But you might have heard it directly from a particular person, and that's okay. But Chinese whispers, we we used to do that with the youth all the time, and I've seen it in the kids' uh, ministry as well. Chinese whispers, very quickly the message changes. And we've got to understand that often the negative things that are being said can come because we've been bitter or hurt. Yes, we are called to test, which means to let go of the bad and keep the good. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 20 to 22 says, Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. You're in charge of that. Test what is good and hold on to that and stay away. Remove yourself from the things that are evil. And gossip and slander and and pride and all of those things are things that we're told very clearly to stay away from. Again, um, John this time, not Paul, John, this time in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. I really love that passage. It helps us understand some certain things. Now, obviously, Paul, uh, John was referring to something that was real in his day and age. And, and maybe the devil's become more cunning. Who knows? So we've got to be wise in the way we test. But at the end of the day, we test and we take on board the things that are good. And we do not allow the things that are bad any airtime. <clears throat> What both Paul and John say about Jesus was true. What other people today in their ministries is the test. If they can't speak the truth about Jesus, then you don't need to listen to them. In fact, don't listen to them. And we must be careful not to pronounce judgment before the allotted time. We have to be wise in this one, church. 1 Corinthians 4 Four to five coming up on your screen. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't prove I'm right. 
It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. How sobering is that, church? To know that we will stand before him and, and those motives will come to light at the end of it all. Mark Connor in the book writes, Christian love requires us to avoid a critical attitude that is quick to pull down and point out flaws in other people and their ministries. That uh, can be seen in Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Instead of judging, Jesus tells us to examine the fruit or results of a person's ministry. Derek Prince, in a little booklet called Uproar in the Church, says he recommends five keys that we should look for when discerning whether any church, ministry or so-called move of God is a genuine move or not. These are, coming up on your screen, number one, the fruit of repentance. Are people turning from sin to God? Number two, respect for the scriptures. Is God's word being respected, valued and taught? Number three, things and signs that will help you to make a, a, an appropriate judgment. Exaltation of Jesus. Is Jesus being lifted up and magnified? Is he the center of what's going on? Number four, love. Love for other Christians. Is there a growing love for other believers? And then lastly, number five, loving concern for the unreached. Is there a focus on reaching people for Christ? They're amazing, those points. And, and I love that each one of those are things that we've been discussing and talking about of late through this series. And it just gives joy to my heart. It's a great list. The tree will always be known by its fruit. Here we go, the last three, really fast. Number four, love, don't hate. These are attitudes that will help us to continue to put the kingdom first. Love, don't hate. We are commanded to love one another. Uh, which, is, which we've talked about over the last few weeks. And it's, it's interesting how this area is so important and it touches all areas of the ministry. Uh, Peter McHugh, pastor of a large church in Melbourne, I think it was Stairway, I think it's Stairway, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but he, he, um, he, he's been recorded in saying this. If the church across town is growing, then my church is growing. What a fantastic attitude to have because we're all part of one kingdom. Does that make sense? Uh, you've heard me say in relation just to one of our local churches, the Baptist Church here in Griffith, that I celebrate their success and their growth because Griffith needs a strong Baptist church. We need all of our churches strong. And I've, I've said that on a number of occasions in a number of environments and atmospheres. So, so we see that this is an important thing. Love and do not hate because we're all on the same team. Last week we said team Jesus. Amen. Number five, uh, we are all God's sheep. So in a nutshell, we all belong to God. We're not interested in sheep stealing in churches. It's one of the worst things that I can think of about trying to take people from other churches and ministries. It's not what we're called to do. We're called to grow our own ministries. In fact, People have not joined our church. Think about this. People have not joined our church over the years because we've asked them to either talk first with their pastor 
to let them know that they wanted to leave. I believe that's a very respectful thing to do. Or sort out the difficulties they have, that the ones that they've had in their previous church before they come. Because we don't want those difficulties to come in here and have the same problem. It's like picking up and leaving your work and going to another workplace when, when, when you could be the one. Anyway, we're moving forward. Let's think about that for those things. We're not interested in sheep stealing. Okay, That's all okay to say all of that. We would sooner see someone deal with their issues and show honour for their church and their previous ministry pastors that they are leaving than bring those issues with them. So we don't steal sheep. We just grow good grass. I like that. That's what Mark Connor says in his book. We don't steal sheep. We just grow good grass. In the end, though, if we grow good grass, of course people will want to come and have a taste. That has been hard to accept over time because that's not who we want to be. We want to see new Christians come in. But the reality is people will come where the Lord calls them and plants them to empower the ministry of that local church to move forward. Because God sets the vision and God sets the people in the house. And I had to understand that even more fully as I stepped into my role as senior minister. And you all know my story, so you can understand where I come from. The last point, point number six, that we may be one kingdom. We may be one. I'll say that again, that we may be one. And that's the kingdom mentality. God is building his church and his church is an extension of of the kingdom of God in every locality. It is not one particular denomination uh, or nationalistic group. It is his people out of every nation and cultural background. There are all kinds of different churches to reach all kinds of different people. As the true church of Jesus Christ turns from competitiveness to cooperation, we will see the tasks of reaching our cities and towns much more quickly. It's a new day, church. God is breaking down walls that divide and he's bringing his body together and a mighty force in the earth. It will take the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the entire world to complete the Great Commission. Can I say that again? It will take the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world to complete the Great Commission. This is why Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter 17, which is what we opened with. In finalising, what can I do as an individual? How can I get involved? My personal action plan to help me establish a worldview shift to move from a church mentality to a kingdom mentality is number one, visit other churches when on holidays, for example. Attend conferences or events occasionally and develop an appreciation for the wider church of Christ. So that's called um, opening up your mind and, and getting to know new people. I think that's amazing. Number two, fellowship with Christians from other churches. How amazing is that? Love and support your own. Number three, local church. But avoid an attitude of superiority. You know, love your church. Fight for it. Continue to see the vision go forward. But each church is called churches of God. Number four, Refuse to listen to any gossip or rumours about another church or ministry without speaking directly to the appropriate person. 
Number five, pray for the other churches and ministries within our city. How amazing would that be if each Christian started to pray for the other churches? And number six, attend any city-wide or even church-wide combined prayer meetings and worship events. Well, church, that's, that's our look at shift number six, uh, which is our second last shift. And it's shifting from a mentality of church to a mentality of the kingdom. How amazing is that, that we got some action points, some things to reflect on, some scriptures to go back over and ask God, am I being humble? Am, 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 I, am I being unified? Am I, am I extending the kingdom of God? Am I looking to partner with the Great Commission? All of those things have come up. And am I someone who exudes your love? How amazing will that be? Let me pray for you, church, as I close this morning. Father, we, we pray a blessing upon the people of Life Source Church. Today, I release over their homes over their families, over their loved ones, the joy of the Lord and the peace of his spirit. I pray, fill their homes with your glory. And I ask, Lord God, that you will begin to stir within us as a church a passion for your glory and a, and a desire to share your love. Speak through us, Lord in our actions and our words and let your spirit bring about a transformation of our city for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. I will see you soon.